Hi again, everyone. James Atkinson here, and welcome to this week's episode of the Drinks Adventures podcast. I'm talking Australian whiskey this week with Starwood Whiskey founder David Vitali. Founded in Melbourne in 2007, Starwood is undoubtedly the leading Australian whiskey brand from a volume perspective, thanks to David's ambitious strategy of pursuing larger scale production from the very beginning. This has meant that Starwood has been able to offer its range of high quality whiskies at pretty affordable price points. They commonly sit under the $100 mark in contrast to the routine pricing upwards of $200 a bottle that you see from most other Australian distillers. Now I don't know about you but that puts them out of reach for me as whiskies to consume on an everyday basis. David and I discussed this pricing differential and some of the other challenges for Australian whisky, as well as his recent decision to relocate to North America to develop it as an export market. We also touched on Starwood's sale of a part share to Distill Ventures, a subsidiary of the world's largest spirits company, Diageo, and Starwood's recent expansion into distilling gin, which I remind David is something he said they would never do. And lastly, the company's entry into bottled cocktails, with the launch of the Starwood New Old Fashioned, of which Starwood has put a bottle up for grabs at the end of the show today. All right, well, David, thanks very much for joining us for a chat. Absolute pleasure. It's good to see you again. Now, just to kick off my questions, I'm going to ask you something which someone asked on a whiskey page on Facebook this week. Why is Australian whiskey so super expensive? Starwood seems like the only distillery without jacked up prices. Maybe you can shed some light on that for this gentleman. Yeah, it's a good question. And look, I think um, uh, my view is that, and this is not even regarding Australian whiskies, it's just generally... Um, any whiskey that's over about the $100 price point, you're either playing for scarcity or marketing or probably a bit of both. And so in the context of Australian whiskey, there's no doubt that all of the all of the distillers, you know, I'd be proud to kind of um, have as my own and, and, and offer the world, um, such as the quality of them. But the challenge is that there's, you know, under substantially constrained stock. And so while they're still trying to build inventory, um, it just kind of means that the prices, you know, the, the, the cost per litre is going to be a lot higher. And I guess from day one, one of the things that was really important for me was that, you know, we began with the end in mind, which was like a, a really affordable, easy to drink um, whiskey that we can offer the world, you know. And um, if we're going to do that and compete with the rest of the world, we needed to be competitive from a price perspective. So we scaled up very early in the hope, no belief, in the hope that um, the market would meet us. And we've been really fortunate to have a great tailwind in terms of the rise of um, craft whiskies around the world. And so a lot of that scale um, has been absorbed and, 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 you know, we've been able to afford to reinvest on that basis. But um, it's just based on the fact that we laid a... a, a a hell of a lot of whiskey away very early which meant that the cost per litre was a lot lower. Having said that I am aware of some larger players coming into the market in Australia at the moment that are a bit better resourced and look like they want to do things at scale as well. What do you think that means for the smaller um, you know the micro distillers if you will? Yeah I think the great thing about whiskey and this is regardless of where it comes from around the world is that you've got the ability to really um take advantage of a story you know as a producer and so if you're able to kind of build that narrative around something that's distinctive and unique and actually offers somebody something 
that they can't get in other places, then you can afford to offer it for a premium. But if we're talking about, you know, the internet time machines are wonderful things. You might want to look this up. But one of our one of the earlier distillers kind of had on their website, we make Tasmanian whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions. And in that context, you have to ask yourself, well, wh- why? Why would you bother to buy that whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions when you can buy a Scotch whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions. So my view is that, you know, price is only going to be a, a, an issue if you don't have a point of difference. And you think that, you know, there still could be a place in the market for those guys who are doing the single casks and able to charge $200 a bottle purely because it's scarce? It's scarce, a- 100%. You know, there's no reason why that can't exist. And, and I think at the end of the day, drinkers vote with their, with their hip pocket and um, there are plenty of people that are happy to... Um, find interesting and scarce whiskies and have them part of that special occasion cabinet um, as much as there are plenty you know there's a lot more but there are plenty of people that just want a whiskey for the sharing cabinet and you know firmly from day one we've always thought of ourselves as a sharing cabinet whiskey and you, you never do special releases that are going to be like you know the absolute rarest of oldest cask last year was our 10th anniversary um, of production, you know, that moment in time when I thought, that's it, we're all in. I kind of looked at my wife and said, we're all in. And um, so that was 10 years ago, or 11 years ago on Sunday, actually. So um, we released a 10th anniversary whiskey last year. and But it um, was actually a quite an affordable price that, point it, compared it to Sullivan's Cove's put out something this week that was $750 a bottle. So Yeah, and look, you know, from our point of view, it was about basically saying... Um, you know, it's some of our oldest and rarest stock in that in that bottling. But, you know, we take the view that whiskey is to be shared and enjoyed. And for us, those limited releases, which are becoming more and more like sought after and, and challenging for us to meet the market, are really a reward for loyalty to our kind of our most closest fans than it is an opportunity to, um, you know... Uh, increase margins and do those sorts of things so for for us we're firmly of the opinion you know we want to be a bit more more of a democratic uh approach to whiskey sales one of the things i'm seeing in the market at the moment is the erosion of boundaries between different categories of drinks and probably the one of the most prominent examples of that recently has been jamison cask mates perno ricard actually buying a brewery so they can keep you know making that whiskey that's um being held in casks that have previously had beer in them what do you what do you think is actually driving that that whole trend towards experimentation? Uh, well, I think um, you know, and craft beer probably is the biggest driver actually. So if you think about ten or fifteen years ago, maybe even more, like it was really the two majors, CUB and, and Lion, that kind of had the lion's share of um, everybody's throat when it came to beer, and, and we've seen that kind of change quite dramatically because. Um, people are interested in you know flavor driven drinks and so i think that that's really driving it is is um, people seeking out bigger flavors interesting flavors and um you know my my journey really actually began in craft beer starwood was originally going to be a craft brewery right um but good beer doesn't travel well and you know in my mind i really wanted to create something that we could take to the world and so you know, as we know, whiskey is just a distilled beer. And, and so my mantra from day one is, you know, a craft beer drinker is a Starwood drinker that doesn't know it yet. So I think that that's really been a, a big catalyst and, and an eye opener for, for drinkers generally. And, you know, we're seeing, I mean, everything's getting bigger in terms of flavor. 
you know, and I think that that's driving it. And on that note, you've recently gone into the gin business. I'm pretty sure I recall you being quite adamant about saying that, you know, we'd rather focus on doing one thing and doing it well. So I was a little bit surprised when I saw the gin came out. The quote was, if you chase two rabbits, you're not likely to catch any. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I wasn't imagining it. It wasn't wasn't some other guy. No, no, it was me. You know, and this is where you say never say never, right? Um, No, look, the the gin's an indulgence. And, you know, by no stretch of the imagination do we think we're going to compete with the four pillars of the world or the Archie Roses of the world or the amazing gin producers in Australia and... You know, um, that's that's not the intention. I think what we're trying to do, and it comes back to that whole idea of flavour, is just really, I think, making making gin from a whiskey perspective and thinking about it from that point of view as opposed to necessarily saying, well, this is a modern twist on a traditional dry gin using Australian botanicals or pushing the boundaries of gin. It's really just basically something that we do. And there's small batches, 700 bottles at a time, Really, if I'm being honest, it's just to make sure that the bar at home is stocked with, you know, some gin every now and then when, when the guys at Four Pillars don't keep me stocked up. So it's just a little side project, it's a bit of fun. definitely a side project. We're not getting into the gin business in any serious way. We're obviously here because of the launch of the, the bottle cocktails. Um, maybe you could just tell us about what your thinking was there. Yeah, look, I guess um, I'm in a quite unique position in that when I go to dinner parties or barbecues or picnics, people expect me to bring whiskey along. I'm a distiller, you know, I own a distillery. It's kind of almost rude if I don't bring whiskey. But most people, I feel like when they bring a bottle of whiskey to a party, everyone else is thinking, oh, oh, here's trouble. (laughs) And so I wanted to kind of think about, well, how how can we make a difference here? Because ultimately... You know, um, whiskey is best enjoyed in a shared environment. And, you know, my my two passions in life are my family and, and obviously whiskey. And I love Melbourne. And if you kind of put all those three things together, food's kind of at the center of those things. And so um, one of the things that really motivated us to think beyond the box was like, well, how can we be at the dinner table? And what, what can we do to kind of help that? idea come along and and the biggest challenge with with um whiskey is its strength in the first instance and therefore you go well let's make cocktails with it who can you know like who can make a great bartender quality cocktail at home it's very difficult to do um so what we wanted to do is say well you know you can have a quality spirit you know all of the provenance and value that you know starwood kind of brings to the table in terms of that you know the wine credentials of the barrels the spirit itself um a consistent product every single time, a consistent drink every single time, and it's really convenient. So you know you don't have to keep running back to the to the kitchen to make more, um, and you know kept in the fridge and just basically poured over ice and off you go. Obviously, the release is the Starwood Old Fashioned. Is there potential to expand that range? So the idea behind the bottle cocktail is that we'll release um, a series. So this is number one. We'll have, you know, ideally more in the range. Um, But unlike other producers who might have four or five on the shelf that you can choose from, these will be limited in release. So when the Old Fashioned is done, it's done, and we'll move on to the next one and the one after that. And the idea behind that is that really what we're doing is running into the bond store and identifying a parcel of barrels that we think fits the cocktail or, uh, you know, that could work with a particular cocktail as opposed to 
you know, shoehorning the the standard Starwood releases into different cocktails. So it's giving us an opportunity to really um, explore the the boundaries of the Bond store too, and and find interesting parcels of whiskey that we can use for for the cocktails. So what do you look for in the whiskey for this particular old fashioned? Because I just actually had one, and it was um, probably on the drier side for an yeah. old fashioned, which I actually like because often when you buy that as a cocktail, it can be really sweet. Sweet, that's right. So we had to strike a balance um, of. If it's going to be at the dinner table, you can't have it as a dessert. So that was kind of the first point there. But, you know, look, the, the bottom line is the main ingredient in an old-fashioned is whiskey. And so that has to sing. You know, that's where we always start. And then what we wanted to do was say, well, there are, you know, classic whiskey cocktails are classics for a reason. You know, they don't need much work to kind of make them anything else they've stood the test of time and so what we tried to do in that regard was just think about how we can really bring out the the starwood characteristics and also make them versatile at the dinner table so um as we know an old-fashioned is basically um uh, whiskey sugar syrup and uh bitters and what we've done in this instance is really kind of worked on the sugar syrup and the bitters aspect to, to just enhance the characteristics and the flavor so some of that dryness is also coming from the wattle seed that we've infused into the sugar syrup so you sort of combine the sugars and the sugar and the bitters ingredient basically that's right so it's 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 effectively a spiced sugar syrup, if, if if you want to think of it that way, alongside bitters as well, you know, and so that that um, kind of gives it a um, a deeper palate, a more complex palate that can consider the dinner table more readily. Sure, and obviously um, you took the investment from uh, Distill Ventures, a Diageo um, subsidiary, yeah. a few years ago now. Yeah. Is there an end in sight for you know where they're going to want to take control of the company? Is that something that's on the cards anytime soon? Not anytime soon. And look, you know, I think um, Distill Ventures has been transformational for Starwood. Like it's given me the ability to um, really go after that ambition that we set early on. You know, which is to be in every sharing cabinet around the world and and that's been meant investment in plant and equipment and infrastructure but also kind of support to make sure that we're able to navigate our way through the world of brand building um without minimizing the mistakes you know without making mistakes is silly but trying to minimize those mistakes um that's not to say that it's a diageo way of doing things it's effectively saying you've got the wherewithal and the the um, experience to draw on it if you think you need it you know and so that's been fantastic and um, there's no plans you know right now for anything to change at Starwood and even if I think ownership changed I don't think control would if that makes sense we're still a baby in the universe of of spirits and even within that sort of orbit of, of Diageo we're very very small brand and they understand that the the thing that makes brands like Starwood so successful is that that leadership from the the founding team that kind of came up with the idea and that's not just me it's the production distiller it's the management team it's the the the, you know there's a certain mentality about startup businesses very different to corporate so my expectation and um you know and belief very strong belief is that you know for a very long time despite control or ownership changing you know this will still be a founder-led brand that is um you know um 
pursuing the very thing that got them excited about investing in the first instance, which is, you know, creating an Australian icon. You mentioned how small Starwood is relative to Diageo's other brands. You know, how far away do you think it is for Australian craft spirits to get serious scale? Yeah, look, um, I think the next five years is going to be really interesting. You know, um, if I think back five years ago, it was really then that um, a lot of uh, distilleries were taking big, you know, big strides to investing in infrastructure and plant to scale up. And we're seeing more and more of that every week, nearly. So I think the next five years is going to be really interesting in terms of um, getting the market to scale. We're still a baby. If we use craft beer as, as an example, we're probably circa 1995 in that story, right? So there's a long, long way to go. And I, the great thing, though, is that I think our drinker is far more um, open-minded to to drinking craft spirits than we all were drinking craft beer in the late 90s. So that's gonna that growth is gonna happen a lot quicker. You just dropped a little bit of gem, a little a little, uh, little nugget of news just before we started recording, which is that you're moving over to the states. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. So um, uh, when we first started making whiskey, the ambition was to you know, I can still see the blank sheet of paper and the first words were to offer the world a uniquely Australian whiskey with pride. And, you know, um, as much as we've done a great job of building the brand in, in Australia, we're not going to set anyone's hearts racing or achieve that ambition if we don't start to export. And so 10% of our sales at the moment come from effectively London, like the London city, it's not much more than but the UK. Um but we've got an ambition, I think, to kind of get to about 50% of our sales coming from the United States and like a 40-10 split between Australia and, and, and the UK. Um, and so um, that starts the journey to building the brand in the United States um, in a month or two, actually. In, in August, we'll be um, shipping over our, our first uh, batch of whiskey. And... To do it properly is a lot of shoe leather, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of masterclasses, and just doing that from Melbourne is going to be really difficult. Um, not many people know this, but my wife's actually American, so um, it'll also keep my mother-in-law really happy for us to kind of move to the States and and start to um, be more active in that market. Pretty crowd, crowded uh, craft spirits market that you're going into over there, but I suppose from a whiskey standpoint, you'll be bringing something pretty different to what's available. Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, obviously we're not a bourbon, we're a single malt whiskey, and um, malt whiskies in the United States made in America need to be in brand new American oak barrels. So the idea of an Australian whiskey in Australian wine barrels matured for three years is quite novel and very, very exciting. So I can't wait to get over there because, you know, we've got a great uh, winemaking history and and credentials in the US. And so we can kind of hang on those coattails and really um, celebrate all those great things about Australia and Starwood. So you're not taking them over an IPA made with American hops? No, that's (laughs) right. Yeah, it's exactly right. So, you know, I think that the idea is that if if we're ever going to, be relevant in that sharing cabinet at home or the back bar of great bars around the world it's got to be because we've got something that's unique and distinctly australian and that you can tell is starwood or or australian whiskey and we think that you know those australian wine barrels are you know our secret weapon to doing that 
So who will be filling your shoes in Australia then? Very good question. We're just in the final processes of recruiting um, uh, an Australian uh, marketing manager who will take part of the role. Um, uh, it's been quite some time since I've put on some work boots and been on the production floor. So very early on, that was a very uh, a deliberate decision on my part to find a team that I could trust blindly almost to kind of take care of the, the production side of things. So that's taken place and, you know... Um, uh, from a management point of view, we've got a, a great team, a, a leadership team, but the last piece in that puzzle is the, 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 probably the hardest to let go of, and that's um, you know taking care of the activations and, and, the, and the marketing of the business in Australia, but that's not far away. You're obviously someone who watches um, what's happening across all categories of spirits and, and beer we've certainly discussed, and I'm sure probably other categories as well. What's exciting you right now outside of what Starwood's doing? Um, I think that the, the most exciting thing is actually the drinker's appetite for craft spirits, generally. You know, and, um, you know, Melbourne has an amazing bar called Bad Frankie's, which just stocks Australian spirits. And for those of you that don't live in Melbourne or, or you know, but are visiting, if there's one place you need to visit um, to celebrate Australian spirits, that would be it. Um, and so that's really exciting. That's so exciting for me to see that that appetite for Australian spirits and the fact that we can have a bar fully stocked that can make any cocktail in the world just from Australian spirits is something that we should be really proud of and celebrate. You've noticed that appetite has really picked up in the last few years? Yeah, I'd say over the last 18 months in, uh, in particular, and it's off the back of a lot of hard work that, you know, the likes of Bill Lark have been kind of toiling away at for 20, what, six years now, and um, Patrick Maguire at Sullivan's Cove in the whiskey space, and more recently the team at Four Pillars Gin and Archie Rose and, and a whole heap of small-scale distilleries just really going out there and and, you know, explaining to people that, you know, drink less but better you know and i think that that's the exciting trend and and of course for us one of the things that we we get really excited about because it opens the opportunity for whiskey is um the idea that people are starting to think about cocktails um as an as an alternative to wine or beer and and that's exciting and actually on that note i remember last time um we caught up i remember you speaking about ice at home the the dilemma of being able to get good quality ice in the home um are you seeing any any solution to that dilemma yes and no so um uh i think you're able to buy better ice now which is great so beyond the stuff you get at a local petrol station or 7-eleven um so that's been an advancement um in fact we you know um we're seeing uh trends overseas of um, convenience stores stocking, you know, um, blocks of quality ice. ice. And so I don't think that that's too far away. So, um, you know, once that happens, uh, we're away. Um, And the the challenge at our house is having enough ice, actually, you know, as much as it's good ice, it's always having enough ice um, to entertain. So once we've solved that problem, we're, we're well away, but, but the, the, the trick will be getting, getting um, more venues, more bottle shops to have quality ice that they can kind of um, sell. So what ice is in the Vitali um, arsenal? Well, um, fortunately we've got a um, 300 person venue 
at the distillery that we can kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Stupid question. <laughs> avail us of. So it's not quite... I keep it esky in the back of the car, but almost. So I could just kind of get a couple of buckets and bring them home when I need them. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for a fantastic chat. Absolutely, pleasure. Thank you. Now, thanks once again to everyone who has written and given me their feedback via hello at drinksadventures.com.au or with reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It really is fantastic to get some feedback and each week for my favourite review on either Stitcher or iTunes, I'm giving away a prize courtesy of typically the people that I'm speaking to on the program. So this week, thanks to Starwood, I'm giving away a bottle of the Starwood New Old Fashioned, which if you like old fashions which I certainly do. It really is a fantastic product up there with anything that you'd be able to buy in a bar and actually, to be honest, sometimes better than some of the old fashions that I've had in bars around the place. So get onto iTunes now if you haven't left a review or Stitcher and give me your honest feedback on the show. It really is important to get that feedback and it also helps with boosting us up the rankings, which helps give the show more exposure, as I keep saying. Now, I will be starting to read out some more of these reviews. It is my goal to make this program a little bit more interactive, but sometimes when I'm recording the introduction uh, of the show, I haven't actually gotten around to, you know, figuring out who that week's winner is and all that kind of stuff. But I hope over the next few weeks, I will be able to get the listeners a little bit more involved. So thanks once again. I'm going to wrap up there and I'll see you again next week. 